Sessions Podcast. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of the Prevence Podcast, the podcast where we interview business professionals regarding their jobs and their lives before the backdrop of digitization and connectivity. Uh, today, I'm very happy to have with me Robert Boucherie, who is in Cologne, very, very well known in the tech scene, and who also has a couple of extremely cool projects that he will share with us uh, today. Robbie, how's it going, man? Hey, good to talk to you. Uh, Robbie, do you mind sharing in a couple of sentences what it is you do and who you are? Yes, so I'm Robbie. I'm the uh, co-founder of GetPacked. We're an online order management SaaS for small businesses, so um, the restaurants, but also all kind of local merchants. Um, so that's in, in one sentence what we do, and mm -hmm. I guess we'll we'll dive into that more. Already super exciting. Um, I'm just going to ask one question from the get-go. How did you guys come up with that idea? Did, uh, did COVID have something to do with it or was it such something that you already had in the back of your mind for some time and then COVID just uh, kind of triggered it? Um, yeah, what's the story behind it? Yeah, it was actually a culmination of a few factors. Um, so COVID definitely definitely played a role and was in the end sort of the spark that drove us to actually do it. Um, so, so the backstory is basically I was working together with uh, friends of mine that co-own a couple of businesses together already. And uh, I joined them about two years back as sort of um, an entrepreneur in residence for for their company. The main company is a digital agency um, because we were. I was looking for new opportunities. I wanted to focus on some new things. I wanted to get back closer to um, to technology, which I was sort of. I, I had focused more on on doing business things a few years before that, and I wanted to get back to technology. So I I joined as a as an entrepreneur in residence. And our goal was basically to look for some opportunities and, and start a new company together, but we weren't sure what that was going to be. So we were working on all kinds of different uh, things, and um, I was getting into a few new th new things, and we were, we were trying out things. Um, and at the same time, we were actually working on something very specific uh, about a year ago, um, which was something very different from where we ended up then. Uh, and then COVID hit, and... Um, As chance has it, my my business partners they also co-own a, a brewery and a restaurant and and you know some some small businesses basically um, that are you know very very old school simple businesses selling food uh, selling beer and and when COVID hit and and the Corona lockdown basically came of course their businesses were also affected and so three things basically came together it was the opportunity that i was um i was ready to to work on something we were already working on on starting a business then covid hit and our other core businesses were affected and the third thing was we combined um an idea or we we basically dug out an idea that we had in mind um for a few years that we always talked about which was why do i still why can't i still order online when i go to the baker to the butcher the local flower store and so on why do i have to stand in line i can't pay online and so on yeah. and we basically threw those three things into into the same bowl and then out came uh, what we're working on right now with getback if you guys are are combating the act of standing in line that's already a big win in my book seriously um but uh what makes your platform, if I'm going to ask bluntly, what makes your platform different from, let's say, Deliveroo or Lieferando in Germany? Sure. Super valid question. So um, first thing is we aren't, we don't just focus on restaurants. So um, right now we have, a, we have a bunch of restaurants that use our platform to organize their online order management. But we also, um, the, the tool really also works for all kinds of local grocers um, or local shops in general. Um, but we're specifically also focusing on those that have more complex products than just a restaurant. For example, a butcher where you don't just order like 
one food, like one plate of this and with those options, but you actually, you might order 300 grams of this sausage and uh, two slices of this, right? So it's a little more complex. Um, or you order, you know, potatoes in a in a bunch and, and stuff like that. So it's a little different, but our product already um, is able to also do that. So you can we enable grocers and and shops to to sell their their um, stuff and not just restaurants. And then the other core difference is um, we are not first a platform; we're first a tool for the merchant. So the big platforms like Deliveroo or um, Takeaway, right? Just eat Takeaway is the big one, or DoorDash in the U.S. There are um, marketplaces where, and they also do um, logistics and delivery. We don't do that, but we're the software tool for you to reach your, the customers that you already have or that come to your website or that um, walk by your store and, and the next time they think about it, right? So we're not the, we're not the marketplace first. We're first and foremost the software for the merchant to um to service the customers that he already knows. So um, because the, the, I, I have nothing at all against the big platforms, right? I think some of them are doing a tremendous job, especially the ones um, organizing logistics. But we saw that there's there's sort of a, a gap in the market. The one thing is the, the thematic one where, where I said before that there's not really a digital platform for grocers and butchers and bakers and so on. So that was the big gap. And the other gap was everyone that wants to reach customers that he already or she already has um, has to pay those huge margins to the platforms, which is totally fine if they bring you the customer, but it's just a lot, you know, it's, it's very expensive if the customers would have come to you anyway, right? And there was just not good software for that. So um, that's why we, that's what makes it very different from the platforms and sort of a combination to right. them. Well, I mean, if I listen to it like this, I mean, it seems like you found yourself a really, really cool niche. Now, I remember when I heard from you the first time, I was like, I've never heard of anything like this ever before, right? There's nobody like you guys out there, right? Um, in a w- At least none that I've heard of. Yeah, so there's there's a bunch, in, in, the, in the restaurant space, there's a bunch of companies doing similar things. Um, but uh, in, in, and in the grocery space, there's not really anybody. You could, if you're very technically versatile as a, as a butcher, whatever, which almost nobody is, then you, you might be able to, you know, use something like Shopify and with some custom code and then you hire an agency, whatever. But really what we wanted to have, and which is also the difference to the other tools that are similar, is we wanted to make it fast, easy, simple, just as simple as, you know, d- doing your shopping yourself is making the store, getting the store online. For us, it's really all the software we saw that was there that is doing something similar you know they um, they sort of live in the old world of software. They they go to the local butcher and then they want to sell them a contract for five years and it's you know a fixed amount and whatever. With us, you can you can click a button. You can go to the website right now, sign up. You you connect your PayPal, Stripe. Your shop is online in five minutes, right? You have um, there is no boundary and and we don't we don't charge like we don't charge anything until you're successful with it. So that's what we saw as a gap. So basically, the concept is uh, you get paid only once they got paid. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. Um, my next question is like, how did you find customers so quickly? Because I know that uh, Fabian, he's our mutual connection. He's also the one that got us in contact with you. Shout out to Fabian if you're listening to this. Uh, yeah, how is it that you guys already had customers before you know your product was even completely live? He told me that that was so, and I was like, I've never heard of that ever in my entire life, <laughs> and. Uh, 
so yeah, was it just because the niche that you found was so unique, or uh, was uh, were your customers due to you know the connections that you had before, or yeah, was your product just that good that the people you know they heard about it and they just started running and running in your door? Yeah, that's so. Uh, so Fa- Fabian is um, my my colleague and also a good good friend of mine who I hired into the company a few months ago, and I guess you guys worked together. In a, in a previous company, yeah, that's that's yeah, exactly. how the connection gives. Very cool. Um, yeah. So the the way we started the company was really the the way I love to do things is you start with a pro like a problem that actually exists, and you don't start a company and then look for a problem or look for somebody that has that problem that you think needs a solution. We started with a we started with a customer, um, which was the the one restaurant that um, I was mentioning before that my my co founder. Was running for for the past uh, fifteen years already, uh, and that restaurant had to close from you know one day to the next when COVID hit, and they never had any takeaway or or delivery business. And from one day to the other, they actually they used uh, WhatsApp Messenger to reach their customers, and and so and 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 that was basically the founding story. When I saw that, and I saw what we were working on, like I said, something completely different. Um, but we then I, I said, hey, you know what we're what we're doing here? This one we 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 were building like a project management tool, and then I saw what he was doing with WhatsApp, and I saw an interesting overlap. It was something that was completely different from each other. But I thought we might be able to use this project management tool to organize his orders, and that was that was like the the first day. And within fourteen days after like having that thought, we had we had them live, and then we so we basically started with a a customer um, right from the beginning. So, uh, I mean, it's super cool that you already started with one customer and already had a problem that you had to solve um, instead of working backwards or looking for a problem, as you said. But, uh, of course, you've been growing since then, right? So my next question would be, like, what kind of marketing efforts have you put into it and how exactly uh, did word spread about your company? So we're we're still early in the process and, and really only now starting to do um, bigger outbound campaigns. Um so, like I said, we started with a customer, and then, of course, restaurants know other restaurants, um, and and it spread to the first few beta customers. Really spread like word of mouth, and when we started, um, I, I hired a friend to do some sales because we we did at some point we noticed all right we have an opportunity here in the market and we can't just leave it at that right. Um, but I hired him with a specific goal to not do sales in a way of like just maximize all numbers, but. The approach I love is something called a hundred or a thousand true fans, right? Getting a few customers and doing it right for them, and not necessarily focusing on on growth specifically in the beginning. And the way that works is you 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 get one customer more, and you really make them specifically happy. It's not about it's not about doing something just specifically for them, but it's about really listening and being there and understanding their needs. And because we did that. Um, those customers, they knew five other friends who were also running like butcheries or bakers. Right for the restaurants, they have suppliers, so they get their meat from a butchery, right? So they, and that's the way it spread. Is that they were so happy with not just the product, which is part of the thing, but also the way we treated them with our, you know, the, our sales rep is also doing support with them and really listening. Um, that they just, you know, they they then said, "Hey, I know another another restaurant that has the same problem, and and my butcher who delivers the meat to me, he should have this too, right?" So this is this is basically how it spread. Um, and but but we're only now starting to really do um, actual outbound sales and actual outbound marketing, and mm-hmm. we're we're starting to you know ramp it up in online marketing and stuff like that. But it's cool. um, sounds yeah. cool. Yeah, sounds like you're. Uh, 
Yeah, it sounds like you have exciting times in front of you. Um, I'm at the moment I'm working in marketing as well, and uh, we're reading this book at work. It's called uh, it's called Traction, and they have all these uh, they have all these methods of how to generate leads of uh, you know how to how to put yourself out there as a company. And there's this one method called unconventional PR. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's uh, one good example was this company who sold blenders. And uh, they had absolutely no budget for marketing. And this guy just comes up, he says, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do YouTube videos. And they're like, dude, nobody does YouTube videos. This was back in like 2010 or something. And they started a format called Will It Blend? I don't know if you heard of those guys. Basically, what they do is they um, they take blenders and uh, they <sighs> put in random stuff, yeah. like golf balls or uh, mobile phones or something like that. And these videos, they have like 10 million clicks like with a marketing budget of literally zero, they got super big range. Um, yeah, my question would be like for you guys: Do you have anything grand like that planned, or are you going to take it slow? What is uh, generally your strategy <laughs> on yeah. how, um, yeah, on how to approach the whole topic of of lead generation? There's a there's a saying. I think it's attributed to uh, Paul Graham, the the founder of Y Combinator, and he said, "Do things that don't scale." And he um, and mm-hmm. and that's so important in the beginning, right? It's Everybody talks about growth, 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 which at some point, of course, you know, it, it becomes very important. But you want to do things. That's what I told the my, my colleagues when, when we got them on board. I said, you know, the, the next few months, we're going to do things that don't scale, right? We're going to talk to every customer. We're going to get everybody on the phone. We're going to see them in person if COVID allows. We're going to really, you know, focus on getting it right for them and really understanding their problem. And then working that continuously back into the product. And, and then things are going to, you know... Then that will allow us to build the right product for the right solution. Cool, um, Robbie. I have a question. You mentioned a couple of sentences ago that you used to be an entrepreneur in residence, and that is also a title that most people don't uh, <laughs> they don't they don't know. I mean, I haven't heard of the title. I think until two years ago when I started when I started working in in the startup field. Um, can you maybe tell us in a couple of short sentences what that job title entails and what specifically your your job was back then? Yeah, sure. So that was that was basically my my previous uh, job title in the in the agency before we then uh, started with Get Packed. And um, the idea was basically to have entrepreneurial freedom, but still have a safety net of of like an um, regular employment. So um, it was at a, at a time um, two years ago when I was looking for sort of doing th- something different. Um, I was I was running uh, startup events for a few years, and then I was looking to do something different. And um, we had this; we just called it entrepreneur residence, which, uh, yeah, basically is a position where I was part of an agency and sort of helping with some of the agency tasks, but not really. I was more I was in residence. I was at the agency itself, working with the uh, being being there, also physically present um, at, at least a few days, and then but actually working on my own projects that sort of were had something to do with the agency, but not really. And that that was a special sort of combination uh, because I knew the founders and the the CEO of the agency really well. It's a model that a lot of, um, it's, it's, I see the title more and more because it really makes sense. Um, it's used, especially like the, the, the U S venture funds used to do that a lot when they, you know, they had a founder who wanted to do something new. They would just hire him basically as an entrepreneur residence, pay him a little salary and then have the have the chance to see what he's working on really really early. That's part of where the model mm-hmm. originated. See what you're working on right now, and what I'm a big fan of actually, and you already know that is uh, your newsletter. I subscribed to it really early. Also, I think I heard it from Fabian or I saw it on LinkedIn. And man, that newsletter is grand, right? Can you just 
and maybe tell us like a couple of tips or maybe to all the marketers out there how to write a good newsletter. So I'm, I'm to be completely honest, I'm really just uh, figuring that out myself right now. Um, so the, the newsletter is a, is a hobby project of mine, which I do apart from my, my day job at, at Get Packed. So it's something I, I, I do sort of in my free time. Um, it's, I, I started it, and that, and that might answer the question also. I started it to, um, to, to do two things. Uh, one, get better at writing. Two, get better at thinking. Um, the get better at thinking was actually the, the main motivation for me because I, I know that like, I, I think a lot when I talk to people. Um, but I also wanted to have that space for myself without having to talk to anybody, especially, you know, when, when during COVID, you're not constantly exposed to new people, um, like before, um, I, I, I was missing that, you know, that time where I would reflect on things with somebody else. And I, I tried to just give me that inner voice and I thought, Hey, maybe writing will give me that. The second part was, you know, becoming better at writing. And then I said, all right, if I'm going to do this, I, I tried this before, you know, to write more and write better. And it never worked. And I said, all right, I, I have to do it in public. So I just said, hey, I'm launching a newsletter. You can sign up here. I'm going to send it every week. And there's that uh, commitment, right? And then you don't want to let anybody down. And so um, that's how, how that's how it all started. Um, and what, what makes a good newsletter? I think that's a it's a great question. And really, like I said, I'm, I'm starting to figure it out um, from the feedback that I get. I think the, the most important thing is um, writing things that actually matter. Um, because th there's so much writing out there and a lot of it just doesn't matter. It's just like, it's just repetition. It's just listicles. It's just things that are, that don't matter. Um, and you want to, you want to, you want to respect your reader's time, right? Which is really important. I, I think don't want to, don't want to, um, be down on, on somebody, but it's like a lot of people, a lot of writers don't, right? They don't respect their, their reader's time and they just, you know, they write for themselves you know, when you want to write for other people, you need to understand, you know, what, what could bring them benefit and then focus on that. And then also don't, um, assume your, your readers are stupid. Um, you gotta, you gotta write in a way that, that, um, you gotta understand your audience and understand that they're, they can Google stuff. You don't have to explain anything, everything in like lengthy sentences and, and paste everything that you know onto it, respect their time and expect that they, They are smart enough to understand things. And if they don't understand them, you don't have to tell them everything. They can Google stuff themselves. That's, I think, two of the things I figured out so far and um, I'm trying to figure out more. Man, I'm, I'm going to tell you, Robbie, I would have really appreciated if someone would have told me what you just said, like the last 30 seconds, what you just said. That would have been so valuable when when I was, you know, a year ago when I was running the newsletter for, for the former company I worked at. Because, um, yeah, the thing is, it was a good newsletter, right? I mean, it was informative and you had all, it was really you know, down to business and uh, you really got the point across well. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was about it, right? And then I read yours and I was like, holy shit, you're allowed to do that? What? So, and I found it way more engaging. And, yeah, as I said, man, I read your newsletter every single week. So, um, what I remember a little thing that I did with uh, my newsletter is uh, they always had like placeholders in between text fields. Those placeholders were white, colored white. So what <laughs> I would do is I would um, write letters into those placeholders, also in white. So you would only see them if you hover with your mouse over them. And these sentences would go along the lines of, I don't know, if you clean the vacuum cleaner, do you become the vacuum cleaner? Stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, not everyone saw it, of course, but the people that did were like, oh, you know what? I saw what you did there. And I really appreciated that. So, and I thought that was cool. You know, I mean, just, you know, have a little fun from time to time. Why not? That's awesome. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, if the newsletter is going to be all business, what's the harm in putting a little joke in? It's fun. No harm. It's also important, yeah, to always have a little bit of fun, especially in the world of business. I guess it's always always important hiding Easter eggs like that is uh, is one, week, yeah. one good way to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, founding a new company, founding a new business, is that a completely new experience for you or is that something that you already had done in the past? Well, uh, um, so n not really new in a way. Um, it, it's the first one I, I really started from the ground up, but I, f almost all my uh, professional life, I've been in entrepreneurial roles. So the whole thing didn't feel really new. Um, I, I ran like a student run company, uh, when I was studying and uh, like dropped out of college for a while to, to do that. Uh, then I joined like a, an event startup as, as one of the earliest employees when I was still a student. Um, then I rejoined that company when it was, when it was growing and, and was co-managing director also like running the company. So I had a lot of ex like, um, exposure to entrepreneurial experiences. So starting a company, like being the one to start it, uh, wasn't, was new, yeah. but not really. So yeah. cool. And you guys are doing quite well, right? I mean, if um, if my info is correct, I hear that you guys have also already hired new people. That you guys that you guys are growing. Is is that correct? Yeah. So um, we started, and like I said, we're we're like spinning it out of the agency. So it was me and the the founders, the friends of mine, um, who started the agency, who are still also running their other businesses. So it was um, uh, in a way like for for the first couple of months, I was mostly the one doing the specific like work on the product, but they were doing a lot of the other, you know, first sales activities and marketing activities. Um, and then we, we, when I said, when we started to see, okay, we have something here, we actually hired um, two friends of mine, one for sales and, and Fabian, who you mentioned before uh, for the product side. Um, and then we also hired a, a student recently to, to just, you know, help us, um, Yeah, get get a lot more stuff done that uh, we don't have the time for, and we're we're looking to hire more people in the in the next few weeks and months and grow right. the team. So, are you guys looking for junior positions with a senior experience, but who are willing to work for the salary of an intern? <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. No. <laughs> how? I mean, if we're talking about the topic, how important uh, for you guys is that somebody has a university degree? Is that even generally important anymore? Or is is it important to you guys at all? No, it's not important at all. <laughs> it's uh, so the, yeah. Short answer: it's not important at all. Um, the second answer is it's also if you have a degree, it's really not important if that matches what you want to do. Um, if you can either show that you you can do what you promise to do, or you if you, we hire you into a junior position, um, you show the motivation to grow into it and learn. Um, and I I. I strongly believe in that because I also I have a business degree and only a bachelor's degree, um, and I'm the lead developer on the product uh, because I just have a passion for code and I taught myself and my degree says nothing about my ability to to do that or do not and not to say anything about how good I'm actually at, at business. So and it, it goes both ways, right? So um, I think a, a, I. I I have my troubles with the um, academic system for for years already. Um, not that I say that everything is is bad about it, right? It's not that I um, I say you shouldn't get a degree at all. But I, for my personal like hiring or professional hiring decisions in the company, mm -hmm. it doesn't play a role. Absolutely, and I think I mean it kind of depends on on the field. Where um, I mean, if I'm sick and I go to the doctor, I you know I truly truly hope that the person standing in front of me knows what he's doing and has studied actually studied medicine. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, in other fields, you would say, well, I mean, then it's simply not that important where they learn to do 
what they know. At software companies, when they ask them, hey, is it important that your devs went to university? They will most likely say no. It doesn't matter if they learned what they know at a university or on YouTube. If they're good at coding, they're good at coding. Absolutely. You know, and um, I think that should be that should be the important factor that people that people take into account nowadays. You know, and um, and it's really really cool that you guys uh, that you guys follow that. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, that you understand that you understand what's important. So yeah, um, Robbie. But when you guys uh, interview people, what is uh, do you have like a proper interview? process in place or do you just like go by gut feeling or uh, what's important if you want to start it get packed so we don't we don't have a structured interview process yet which is also due to the fact that I hired friends who I who I who both were like friends of mine and also I've, I've worked with before so we had like the um, so it wasn't wasn't so hard but um, well we, with a student also the the most important thing was actually uh, apart from of course you need to have the basic qualifications I, I need to trust that you can do what I'm hiring you to do. Um, or I need to trust that you can, like I said before, learn it really fast on the job. Um, apart from that, cultural fit is super, super important. I would never hire somebody who's qualified to do the job, but not where I would have like a, a bad feeling from the start about cultural fit, right? There's just, that is a absolute um, no-go, right? There's just, you know, you, the, the person can be Elon Musk uh, or what, you know, if, if I don't see fit for, will it work with... Um, with myself personally, with the other founders, with the the rest of the team, especially the person, the people that they will have to work together with, um, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. it's absolutely important. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I completely, I completely agree with you there. You can always teach someone new stuff, but you can't, you know, teach someone to not be a douche. From my experience, at least. And um, yeah, next question. This is a fun one. I hear that you guys already ordered food. Uh, with your own app, and I imagine that must have been quite the experience. Yeah. <laughs> what did you order? I uh, that was that was a pretty awesome feeling. Um, and uh, I ordered uh, Vietnamese food, which was oh. really really good. Nice. And I had champagne with it. Oh, <laughs> because man of I, culture. I needed to sell. I needed to celebrate that moment because it was actually <laughs> it felt pretty cool to go on your own app. And yeah. uh, and uh, I was very critical, and it was. Um, it was funny to to go through that experience because you can look at an interface a million times building it as you know from the product perspective, mm -hmm. and then you look at it for the first time from the user perspective, and you're going to find things that don't work or work differently than you expected. And it, that was an interesting experience, but yeah, I, I celebrate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah, Robbie, I'm going to ask you the question that everyone has <laughs> has asked uh, everyone at this point. Uh, how are you coping with uh, with remote work? What do you think? Uh, do you think it's a good model? Do you think uh, is it new to you? Um, how exactly do you think it should people, if this will go on, hopefully not, but if this will go on for some time, what are the things that can, people can do to make it work from home? Yeah, I think um, working remotely was not completely new to me, which was uh, definitely you know good for this situation. But even if it if it had been, I think it's um, I would have gotten used to it. I think it's it's really important to um, take care of the things that go very naturally in an office setting, also when you're in a remote setting. So you shouldn't um, forget that there's not just work because people tend to, you know, when you work from home, you tend to really just work, and then you don't you don't have that beer with a colleague after work. You don't have that chat at the water cooler. Uh, you, that just doesn't happen anymore. Um, but you can make it happen, right? You can just. Uh, 
put something a blocker into the calendar and say, hey, you know, let's have let's have a beer together, even if it's over Zoom, and let's not talk about work. Let's play a game together. Um, that you know, all kinds of all kinds of little things. It's really important to do that. Um, but it's also it's also really important to um, to balance things in a remote setting and 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 keep your employees and colleagues accountable to actually balance their life, especially for people that have a, a tendency to be more like a workaholic type. Um, a remote setting can be even even harder and even more um, dangerous to to fall into that trap of actually you know at some point burning out because you don't have that cut right you don't have that commute where you can you say all right this is work and this is home and this is private life and this is work which is for for me that never that distinction never really existed um like i said as an entrepreneur i guess it it, it often doesn't all the more important it is to make that distinction um at some point and to have your rituals to you know get into a work setting and then call it a day at some point go for a run read cook Spend time with the kids, with your partner, um, and I, 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 you know, I. It's not just the it's not just the job of the employee to do that. It's really hard. It's also the job of any leader, any boss, any colleague to 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 you know to see tendencies of overwork, um, especially in a remote setting, uh, in others, and tell them and and you know keep them accountable to to also enjoy their life <laughs> apart from work. Yeah. To hold them accountable is uh, actually a very good cue here because, uh, as you know, this is also a legal podcast and we always um, ask the people who are working in legal tech and who we interview, what do you think about the, the situation in Germany? They always say, hey, legal tech in Germany is so far behind and uh, people, especially business owners and lawyers, are feeling the detriment of this. Um, there's so many bottlenecks. And my question to you would be... Um, I mean, you guys, or you as a business owner, you've probably had a couple of touch points with lawyers uh, in regard to your business. Did, what are your experiences so far in that regard? Do you think there could have been some processes made quicker by digitization in the legal area? Uh, so I can only I can only judge from the um, from my perspective, and I have the uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a co-founder that also takes you know that I, I focus a lot more on the product than I do on the on, for example, the legal and organizational uh, side of stuff, but I also, of course, I have to also look into that, so I, I, get, I get a sense of it. Um, from my understanding, there's still too much in, 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 especially in Germany, but this is true for a lot of European countries. That A has to be on paper and B has to be in person. Um, and COVID did not really change a lot about that. When I look at mm-hmm. um, when I look at things like uh, Stripe Atlas, which is a, a program by Stripe where you can just with a few clicks you can start. Uh, a registered company in the United States without you know having to do anything, um, I and I and I see things like I think uh, Estonia has that e-residency, but also a residency for companies and stuff like that. Yeah, and, yeah, correct. Um, yeah. I know a lot of the a lot of the Baltic countries are actually um, pretty good with that, um, mm. but when I look at Germany, I, I I don't see things like that. Right where you can just I would love to, especially in a business context, anything that needs to be drafted legally, all the all the documents and all the stuff that needs to be signed and whatever. Um, I see some, you know, something gets celebrated as a as something great when you can sign something digitally, which is like ten percent of the way, um, and and that just really has to change. Those things need to be automated. Um, we, you know, people should also lawyers should not have to focus on all that minuscule stuff, right? They 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 should they should be working on the interesting stuff, Absolutely. which is definitely not drafting, drafting documents that look this like, you One know, like the other, the same right? as Zed, yeah. every other company. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So that's not copy pasting. And, um, 
It was funny. We we worked with a, a a lawyer a few months back, and they sent us documents, and you know we went through them, and then it was you know some company incorporation stuff, and then mm-hmm. uh, just had the names of different companies in there than ours, and it was like, no. <laughs> all right, you didn't even make an effort, right? Oops. And I can't, I can't even blame them because it is no, you know you that's it's yeah. it should it should be that should not be done by a human anymore. Absolutely. Um, and be. so. Yeah, <laughs> I can. Like, I'm not even going to bet with you that the rest of the contract was superb, wasn't exactly, it? Exactly, which and is fine, right? Right. And the thing is, and they just forgot. They yeah. just forgot to exchange the names because they were so focused on the other clauses. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That that was the case. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and so in general, all that things like stuff needs to be automated. Stuff needs to be digital first, and not paper first. Stuff needs to be remote first, not in person first, especially in the, in the legal world, um, at least enabling that because it also democratizes access to that. And, and that yeah makes it so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talking about democratizing access, I, um, when this podcast is going to come out, the topic is already going to be a little bit older, but I want to talk to you about something that right now is quite contemporary. The topic is clubhouse. Yeah. Right. So, uh, me as a non-iPhone user, I am not allowed on the platform, <laughs> which I find shitty. Uh, all the other people apparently they do not because there are some really interesting talks going on there. Um, my question to you would be: Do you think uh, this pod, uh, this this podcast, this format has has a future, or is it just like you know some sort of uh, I don't know uh, some sort of fashion thing? You know, like uh, I don't know the automobile back in the nineteen hundreds or. Or the internet back in the nineties, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, what do you think? Do you think that the, do you think that Clubhouse is here to stay, or yeah. um, do you think that uh, it's going to be something that you know nobody will remember for a year from now or something? Yeah, I, I have. Um, I'm actually like so. Clubhouse is all the all the hype, I guess, in Europe right now, especially in Germany, or has been for the past couple of weeks uh, since the beginning of the year. Um, Clubhouse started, I guess, last March, and I I first heard about it around that time because I have a, a bunch of friends in the in the Silicon Valley, and it was sort of the same same hype as we have here uh, back a year ago. And I tried to get an invite in in uh, April. I, I I found my tweet where I asked about an invite last April, so 2020, um, and nobody invited me, so I didn't get it in until like October. <laughs> Um, so I got in October, but then all the stuff that was happening on there was happening in, in U.S. time zone, especially on the West Coast, which is like nine hours difference to here. So I didn't really, um, I, I you know sometimes stayed up late to listen in on things, which was really interesting because you get in, you get in, you, you have a, a more personal feeling when you listen to somebody speak than, and especially in a live setting than if it's a podcast. But anyway, I think so. I do think um, first of all, I think it's here to stay. I I'm a big fan of audio in general. I think it's a great format. I, I love listening. I love speaking. Um, I think it's a, it's a great, it's a great format in general, anything in audio. Um, and I love that there is a surge of, of podcasts and all that stuff in the last couple of years. I think that's, that's great. And mm-hmm. I also think clubhouse has its place in that spectrum. Um, because like any, any live component, uh, has a special charm. But on the other hand, um, of course, the hype right now is is driven by a few factors. One of them being everybody's home and nobody has anything else to do because everybody everything's closed, right? You can't go out to bars, you can't go out to events, you can't go out to right, right. see your friends. So everybody has time, is in a setting where they can speak, and I think that's that's definitely going to change. But I think there's still a place for live conversations happening on the fly. Um, commentary on on stuff that that's going on right now in politics or even in tech, whatever, just um, things like that. 
the the problem is always uh, sp- spontaneous th- conversations, like on Clubhouse. Um, it's really hard to have them in a in a great quality. And with that, I don't mean that like the audio quality, but actually the quality of the content. And going back to the topic of before, respecting your readers' time, it's just as mm-hmm. important to respect your listeners' time. And like. Like you right now, you prepared for this podcast, right? You put a lot of effort into it. You sure, absolutely. Ask the right questions, and you right. So this format is hopefully going to be valuable to anybody that listens to it. With Clubhouse, you don't have those checks because people just you know talk and riff and whatever. Yeah. And it tends to be a lot of the times the quality just tends to be really bad. Right. The content is just <laughs> you know yeah. everything's said okay. said before, and it's not really interesting. And people fall into the trap of, of falling for the hype because. The surrounding, like the the app is cool and everybody's on it, but then they don't even tend to ask, you know, is my time spent here actually worth that time or should I be (laughs) doing something completely different or listening to a podcast where somebody actually made an effort to to think about what, you know, what they, what they say. Yeah. Um, Look, what I've been meaning to ask, man, how, how did you learn to speak English so well? Because seriously, your English is perfect, right? (laughs) And I was wondering like, what did you you just say that you grew up in the States or what? Because, uh. Yeah, because I refuse to believe that German schools no, I didn't. teach that well. I refuse to believe that. <laughs> no, I was uh, fortunate enough to to also grow up in the U.S. Uh, I I was born okay. here in Germany, but my my parents moved to the U.S. when I was a kid, and I uh, I went yeah. to school there for a few years, then went back to Germany. Spent most of my most of my years in Germany, um, but okay. went sort of yeah. back and forth and uh, have um, have yeah spent a significant amount of my my time in the U.S. And usually, if it's not COVID, I'm I'm there a couple of times in the year. I also have. Uh, Cool. Yeah, lived there, um, and, and and so that's uh, studied there for a while, and so I have a lot of lot of connections, a lot of friends okay. there, and it yeah. feels just as it, it's basically my second home um, when I'm when I'm not here in Germany. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you guys know uh, know your way around the tech scene in Cologne, right? And I, my question to you would be like, are there any other startups uh, to keep a lookout for, or someone else, maybe someone with a really with a really awesome idea, who you'd like to give a shout out to? Um, or maybe some other young startups uh, to look out for. Yeah. So on the on the one hand, not not looking at the really new startups. I think um, the when we talk about the the scene here in the Rhineland or in Cologne specifically, or the Cologne Bonn and Aachen region, um, we we tend to overlook that we actually have a few really cool big companies, uh, like big startups already, um, that just don't get the same attention as as startups somewhere else. I don't know why. Maybe they want to be underdogs, which is also cool. But thinking about uh, companies like LeanIX in Bonn, I'm thinking about companies like Homelike and and Clone. Um, there is also uh, Fond of Bags, which is like a huge e-commerce retailer that are also now you know doing really cool things for the startup ecosystem. They started their own accelerator um, and so on and so forth. So there's a there's a couple of you know those grown up startups um, that are doing really well that are not talked about uh, as much. As they as they should be, um, that are doing really cool things. Otherwise, I, I there's so many. There's like so much happening. It's it's really it's really great to see so many people um, working on interesting things. Uh, one thing that that pops into my mind, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Laszlo is his name. He's actually I think it's still in stealth mode, so I probably can't say too much about it. But he's working on really something very interesting in the e-commerce space and like, like a live shopping tool. And that's also one of the one of my predictions for, for which I said at the beginning of this year um, that the way we do e-commerce, uh, or, you know, in the last year a lot of it went online, and now the way we do it online is going to change, um, and that's especially true for 
um, not necessarily the category that that we have, like you know, which is sort of fast turnover, um, restaurant food, groceries, and so on. But the things where you put a little more effort into understanding the product, for example, clothes. And um, if you look at China and Asia and so on, there the, the way they do e-commerce is so different from from the way we do it with a lot of live elements, for example. And uh, yeah, Laszlo is working on a on on something in that space, and actually has been already mm-hmm. pretty successful with. Uh, with his company coming, probably coming out of stealth at sometime soon, and uh, so that's that's something to watch. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds great. Okay, um, we're closing in on one of the final questions. All right, and that would be uh, Robbie. What was your biggest fail so far in your career, and what did you learn from it? So um, I'm fortunate to not have had like a huge failure, like one specific thing that I would say that you know. I really failed there or something mm-hmm. didn't work out. Um, but nevertheless, I'm not shy of having many, 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 many failures um, and, and constantly have mm-hmm. them, which is, uh, which I guess is part of the, part of the thing you sign up for as an entrepreneur. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, if I would, if I would, you know, the one thing that I sometimes wish, I, I never wish I would have done something differently, but one thing that I can advise people to, to not do the same mistake as I is, is not focusing enough. I, I myself am pretty much a generalist and I'm very curious and I love to focus on a lot of different things because just so many different things excite me. But there's times when it's really important to focus. And um, especially when I was younger, I just I just didn't do that. And I didn't, you know, I didn't pull through with things that I was working on. I didn't, mm-hmm. fo- like, I had hobby projects. I had a, for example, I had a podcast once, right? Which was actually pretty good. And right. it was it was running and then I didn't focus on it because something else became interesting again. And uh, which is fine, right? I guess it's also part of being young. But that I would—that's sort of the, my mini, my mini failure that I've uh, done a few times, <laughs> which I advise everybody else not to do. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what would you advise people? I mean, what what is the biggest success so far? Um, I believe that get packed would be one of those things, right? Or what would you say? Yeah, on the professional side, I, I, I it sure feels like it. It sure feels like something where. We're actually um, we're actually leaving a mark for people, and we're actually you know changing the way small businesses make money, right. and we're helping right. them make money, and that's just something that's very very fulfilling to see. So yeah, I would say right now that's uh, that's definitely true. Yeah, and let's hope it stays that way. <laughs> sure. And uh, one here's a cliche question: What would you have? What did you want to become when you were a kid? I think I know because I read the last newsletter, but I'm just going to ask anyway. <laughs> So it was um you you're probably thinking about astronaut which is exactly. uh, which is Precisely. almost true. Uh, I didn't okay. reach quite as far. I actually for a long time wanted to become a pilot. Okay. Um, right so like like I said when I moved to the US as a kid I I I so I was on a plane a bunch of times as an early kid already and I was always super excited and that was uh, pre 9/11 times when you were still allowed to just go into the cockpit, right? Mm-hmm. So I was always as a kid I was invited to to come up to the cockpit and, and sit with the captain for for a while on the flights and so that was something that left an impression and for years and years yeah. of my um my young life as a kid I, I always wanted to become a pilot and I almost I almost went for um at least doing like the, the the exams to to become a pilot mm. um but then I um they're super difficult right yeah they're they you I think yeah it's they they are hard um I never really I never then went down that route because in the end I I said hey there's so many things that excite me, and being a pilot would uh, restrict me too much in in my path forward, right? Which is not to say that pilots don't do anything but flying, especially right now, sadly. Um, but mm-hmm. I just didn't, 
you know, I, it, it felt like if you actually succeed at becoming a pilot, then everything sort of laid out before you. In a few years, you're going to be captain, then first captain, you're going to fly the big planes, and then you're going to do this and that. And then you can mm-hmm. do things left and right and become a, an instructor and all that stuff. But it just felt like it was too, um, too of a preset path. Uh, uh, that career path and that just mm-hmm. didn't feel, feel right for me. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the career path is still open to you right now as an entrepreneur. Who knows? In a couple of years, why not? You know? Exactly. <laughs> Never. The door is not closed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what would you tell other people that are still, I don't know, not cramming for exams or about to start their careers, um, maybe thinking about opening their own business as well? They've got a killer idea, but uh, they don't know if they should do it. What are the most important factors when you start out into your into your career life, into your work life, What are the things that should drive you from your perspective now? The one thing, do think, do something that matters. Um, don't just, I mean, there is something to be said about just starting, which I also appreciate. And then especially if you take your first steps, But once you really, you know, once you really spend a lot of time on something, make sure it matters, make sure you make a difference in the world and, and don't just you know, copy something that exists for the sheer purpose of making a lot of money that never leads mm-hmm. to good results. And it's also not a lot of fun. So Do yeah. something that matters. Cool. Uh, Robbie, thank you so much for coming around today. Um, I hope to see you again in the future. I wish you guys all the best of luck for Get Packed. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming around, bro. This was a great interview and a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Prevents Podcast.